Athletic. MM stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. Evans will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oakley, and the pubs are open, so we've had to record at 8am to catch Tim Spears sober. Ain't that right, bub? Oh uh, dear, I might actually be going to the pub today. I was gonna, I was gonna, I, <laughs> I was, I was gonna fake how furious I was with your character assassination there, but um, but yeah, the pubs are open. Come on. Oh, come on, and it's freezing and snowing. Well, after two points from a possible fifteen for Wolves, it's now three points from a possible three. So for the first time in eight podcasts, Tim and I have a Wolves victory to discuss, and for the first time ever on the Molyneux View. We have an Adama Traore Premier League goal to reflect upon. His previous one in December 2019 was three and a half weeks before this pod was even born. It's been that long. What next for Johnny Castro Otto after his second successive ACL injury to the same knee? We'll hear from former Wolves and England winger turned fitness coach Tony Daly on the physical and psychological issues that Johnny may face. The Wolves women have done it again. They've extended their season by at least a week after their stunning 4-1 FA Cup win at Watford, who are top of the division above them. And it could have been more, by the way. And finally, remember when Wolves scored two goals in the first six minutes of the season back in September? Well, Sheffield United's season went from bad to worse worse after that and they travel to Molyneux next to try to salvage some pride from a dire season and we'll check in with the Athletics Blades writer Richard Sutcliffe to ask whether they're likely to part the red and white striped sea once more. And you can subscribe to The Athletic right now for a special price of $3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription and then you can read all of Tim's analysis. Hey Tim, how am you bab? Are you all right? Have you had a good weekend? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I can't remember it, but I'm sure it was good. And yeah, it was fine. How are you? <laughs> it was fine. Didn't sound- You're right. I can't remember mine either, but thanks for asking. I'm about to go to the Peak District for a few days. And so I've mostly spent the weekend packing. Oh, and I went to a game. Yes. Uh, it's all Ryan Bennett in action uh, for Swansea. It was very good. Very good oh, okay. Indeed. How's it but, um, Yeah. Well, they had a dreadful run of four straight defeats and were dropping like a stone, having been sort of joint second for automatic promotion but uh, no they were very uh, very convincing against Inform Millwall so uh, no it's good to see him good to see him and before we talk about the Fulham game Tim which was won which is extraordinary thank you to everybody for the feedback from last week's pod which now seems to be described as winky gate it seems um Terry Barlow, thanks for the giggling session and last week's Molly New View. Definitely up there with the Aggers and Brian Johnston tickle and leg over giggling session. Um, Joey Hep as well. Thank you, Joey. And Poco Drom. Yes, I did lose my mind over a rude word, which I'm not going to say again. It's not even rude. It's just part of the anatomy. But I just hadn't seen it coming. It was um, it was just one of those things. Steady. Oh, God. It was one of those that had been um, popped in as a question and I hadn't seen it in advance. And silly, silly me. Never mind. No rudeness this week, though. Hate him. We'll just talk about Wolves winning game at Fulham. I mean, poor Fulham. I'm sure that's not the first sentiment on everyone's minds. But oh, my goodness, they're really in trouble now. The faces afterwards, poor Scott Parker and um, Mario Lamina, lone player, floods of tears coming off the pitch. But from Wolves' point of view, Adama Traore's first league goal in 
49 games since that Man City game in December 2019. That had been his second in three games after scoring his Spurs. And you put in your piece, Tim, the goal will be a weight off his massive, greasy, lubricated shoulders. Indeed. Yes, yes. Won't it? Tears of joy in the Wolves dressing room. Adama Traore. Well, it wasn't the best game. We did say last week to expect a pragmatic and sensible performance and to try and grind out a 1-0 win. And that's exactly what he did. I'll tell you what, I wasn't expecting 4-2-3-1, but it was a different version. It was a more me- measured version. You know, the forwards were tucked in, the fullbacks were tucked in, Neves and Dendonka weren't as adventurous. The aim was not to lose the game, basically. Given the league positions and the points difference between the two teams, that was the smart thing to do, for sure. As we were saying last week, it could have been six points to the bottom three if they'd lost to Fulham. As it is, it's 12 and, and game over, really. I mean, Fulham have, only, Fulham have got 18 left to play for and, and there's a 12 difference, it's over. It was a case of job done, really. That's what it felt to me. Get the win. It was a tough watch, especially after Neto went off as well. You couldn't really blame them for playing it safe, I don't think, given all the circumstances, given the West Ham result, given how awful they looked defensively. He was always going to tighten it up and try and get a clean sheet, a rare clean sheet, which they got. You know, we all want them to be more kind of fluent and, and take control of games, but that's just not the team they are at the moment. Confidence seems to have taken a hit. Injuries and fatigue have, have taken their toll. Hopefully they can sort of strive for, for some fluency in the last few weeks of the season and, and really take it that into the summer. And that's certainly something Nuno was suggesting after the game, um, that they want to build a foundation in the in the coming weeks for for the season ahead. Um, so yeah, it was drab, it was dull, I didn't enjoy it really as a, as a spectacle, um, but they've kept a clean sheet, they've scored two perfectly good goals, there's not a mistake there, they scored two perfectly good goals, they basically won the game 2-0 in my eyes. Yes, well summed up, I mean, we'll come on to the VAR in just a moment, but... Um... There was a lot of panic amongst Wolves supporters when they saw that it was an unchanged team from the previous week. The surprise in there was really because of the defensive first half display against West Ham. But they had to have worked on it all week. There's no way Nuno is going to go, yeah, same again, lads, just just go and do the same thing as you did in the first half. It was always going to be a different approach. And that's what coaching's about, isn't it? It's, it's not always about personnel and formation. It's about your attitude on the pitch, it's about your instructions and, and following the tactics that your managers set for you and, and they were a lot tighter than last week. It's not always about entertaining either. Sometimes you've just got to grind out a result. You know, we were calling it an important game and now they've done it, job done, they're 12 points clear and they can relax, not that they were necessarily tense anyway, but they can certainly relax and sort of hopefully enjoy try and get something out these last few weeks of the season. And you look at the Fulham game, there are quite a number of positives to take out of it. Obviously, Traore's goal, Long-awaited, well taken. All three subs involved in the build-up. And I thought, you know, Gibbs White and, and Silver, both in a kind of a similar position, really, where they're, they're looking to sort of prove themselves and, and haven't got all the fans on side, certainly. Um, but they've both got bags of enthusiasm. They both want to force their way into this team. And I, I thought they both made an impact. And Silver's now got a, a goal and an assist in one week. A lot of them were better. Neves was better. Dendonka was better. All the defence were better. I thought Cody handled Mitrovic pretty well. You know, we were concerned about that beforehand because Mitrovic has done so well about him in the past. So made how many stats were unbelievable. Ten tackles and eight clearances. Miles more than anyone on the pitch. 
Now, there's a reason for that, because Fulham targeted him, so the ball was often coming in his direction. Yeah, a few balls went over his head, but I thought he had a decent game. You know, Robinson was a real threat for Fulham, bombing forward down that left. Yeah, Semedo's stats, they sort of cloud a little bit how the game actually panned out, but I thought he did pretty well, and it reflects an improved confidence from him and a better mentality, and I think he's settling in quite well. And I thought him and eight Nori, we've given them some stick this season for their defensive issues. I thought they both had a really good game, and that bodes well for next season. You know, we'll see what happens with eight Nori, but I think... Um, I think with Semedo and Silva's improvement, certainly in the last couple of months in Silva's case, and probably since really the turn of the year in Semedo's case, that bodes really well for next season for me. He's looking to really make a difference, Fabio Silva, isn't he? So that first time ball through for Adama Traore, fantastic. And thought Morgan Gibbs-White did really well. His movement was fantastic. Something we complain quite a lot about on here is players staying in their shape and you just want a little bit more movement up top, particularly when Wolves struggling to score goals. But he certainly provided that. Question for you, Tim. Traore's goal was the first that Wolves have scored in stoppage time since... God, it feels like mastermind. Oh, I can feel the pressure. You were very drunk at a a wedding party in London at the time, which is why you don't remember. Okay, well, I know it... I know it now, but I'm I'm sorry, Jackie. You cannot you cannot drag me out of bed at six thirty this morning to record a podcast at eight am because you've got to you've got to go on some fancy holiday today and then start quizzing me. And my I know that it's is quite me. That is quite happen. me. But you've got a reason for not remembering that one because you were literally out of it at the time. Okay, I'm going to be even more mean and ask if you remember the previous one. And the reason I'm asking is because Wolves used to do this all the time, remember? This used to be just a regular thing. You'd wait till stoppage time for Wolves to actually decide to score and you knew it was going to happen. So when was the previous stoppage time goal before Neto's one against Chelsea in mid-December? It wouldn't have been the Man City game, would it? No, they'd have had one since then. It was Traore's 94th minute goal for 2-0 at Manchester City in October 2019, his second goal of the game. Oh, so we're talking stoppage time here? We're talking stoppage, talking stoppage time goal. All 90th minute, same thing. Okay. In any other 90th minute one. But, ma- ma- well, the Man City game I was talking about was the 3-2. Three, three did, when, when did Doherty's winner happen? That was very late. That was 89. 89. See, we're yes. quibbling over seconds here, to be honest. No, no, we're, we're talking facts here. Which <laughs> but I thought that was astonishing. I was up late that last night working that out because thinking, well, it's what Wolves used to do all the time with stoppage time goals. But the previous one was at 94th minute, 2-0 at Man City, October 2019. And I just think that's incredible that it's been that long. It has been long. And talking of last-minute trial goals, it did remind me of the West Ham game right at the start of Wolves' Premier League adventure, um, September 2018, I think it was. yeah, I was there. And then it was a, a sort of a maligned striker in, Fabio, in um, Leo Bonatini who played the through ball. And Traore latches onto it and, and powers it again at the near post from memory past Fabianski. Um, now, what was interesting was in the... It's been three years since that goal almost. But Traore says he has been working on this, um, running beyond the last man. And both him and Nuno referenced it after the game. You know, um, it's not just about balls to feet for him. They're looking to get him in beyond the last man as well and into those scoring positions. So it's not something we've seen a lot of, but it's obviously something that they're trying to bring into his game. And as we've seen, Jackie, I know he doesn't score many, but the one he scored against Palace this season in the Cup... Do you remember his left foot? And he powers it with his weaker left foot. Edge of the box, yeah. If he can do that, and if he can do, do his cross for Dendonka against West Ham, which is perfect, then his left foot's obviously a lot better than, than perhaps we first think. And the power he's got in, in his shot, people were having to go at the keeper. I thought that was harsh because yes. he's just beat, he's beaten for power. 
The, any time a keeper gets beaten at his near post, it's it's automatically assumed to be an error. But it's a stunning hit, and I, I don't think many, if any, keeper would save that. To be honest. You and I seem to be the only two people on the planet who have any sympathy with a goalkeeper because it was the power, wasn't it? And perhaps the surprise element maybe thought he's going to go across him. But you mentioned that West Ham game and um, that was Trari's first goal for Wolves. That was in September 2018, but it was another 13 months before Traore scored again. Yeah, he doesn't never scores regularly. At all, not in in any competition. And that was those two goals at Manchester City in October 2019. And that West Ham game, he raced from the halfway line after. Do you remember Neves won the ball back, gave it to Bonatini? I remember it it very well. I mean, it was amazing. I I managed to hold it all together live on the BBC where that went in and a little fist pump afterwards. But um, yeah, absolutely those kind of goals and there's a couple at the near post I looked at all these other goals last night and um, they're all with huge amount of, of power on them and more central yeah. position mm. yeah a lot of them are central positions and a lot of them are after Wolves have just won the ball back I, I, did, I did a piece on this around Christmas time and yeah if you look at them Wolves, it's often when Wolves have just one possession perhaps high up the field and they can use advantages of the space that he's got because normally he's got two defenders on him but if they can catch teams unawares and win the ball back and quickly get and quickly get onto him, then yeah, that's where he finds that space. He's never been a prolific scorer. The most he's got in a season is five. Nuno said after the game, he, uh, asked him about Troyer and he said, look, he shouldn't be fixating on scoring. That's not necessarily his game. We should be fixating on getting the best out of him, he said. I kind of put to him, you know, is this is he sort of back to his highest levels? Because I think he is personally. I just don't think he's getting the stats to reward it because he's missing a prolific striker alongside him. He said him and Pedence and Neto, you know, they're such sort of explosive players. They're not going to get consistently those moments of brilliance like in every minute of every game. It's like it's going to be slightly up and down, but it's up to the team to have a kind of foundation behind them so that when the strikers aren't performing or firing, then they've got the foundation of a clean sheet. I think that's what he was trying to get at personally, and I'd certainly agree with that point. Um, Just a couple of tweets on the game. Ben Stack says, can we get some love for Nelson Stamado, who I thought had one of his best games in a Wolves shirt after a run of improved performances? Yes, I I agree. He's been a lot lot better recently. King Wolf 84 puts it perfectly, really, which is obviously the, the, the main talking point of the night, to be honest, which we haven't touched on yet. Should the club provide all the players manscaped products to ensure Pedence's armpit hair isn't causing him to be offside again. Oh, goodness. Oh, good. I mean, when this goal was scored, it didn't occur to me that there was any issue with it. They mentioned in commentary, oh, there could have been an offside. And I was like, oh, really? And they played it back. And I was like, oh, no. And then they put all the lines across. And I still thought, oh, no, that's fine. I mean, there's nothing in that. And then for it to be ruled out, wow. So I got in touch with PGMOL straight away. <laughs> And I tend to do usually during Wolves games. And, you know, very neutrally sort of asked the thinking here. And the reply came, and I quote, it's the top of his arm. It's so tight, but the line the VAR uses is one pixel thick. And only when they confirm, I press confirm on the technology, does the image appear like that, which makes it look even tighter. Sadly, the way the offside law is written, when they use the technology, they have to give it if it shows he's off. So even by the tiniest, weeniest fraction. And then he came back saying, if it's any consolation, there was resignation in Coote's voice when he said it was offside. They don't like giving them, but when the law is as it is and the technology is available, I'm not sure what else they can do. So basically, it's not the officials who are operating this who are at fault. It's what no, they're no, instructed they've, they've to applied, do. Applied and the if law. it is yeah. on the technology, if they draw the line, and I've been in that 
room in, in uh, Stockley Park and I've sat with the guy who's not a, a football person, is a technology person, but sits with the official and they tell them exactly where to draw the line. But the issue we have with this, this is the big issue with offside, is you have to be 100% clear on the frame you're going to use regarding when the ball is played because that's what's written in the rules. It's when the ball is played. And the rules haven't really changed to accommodate VAR. So the when the ball is played line works fine when you've got an official running the line who can make that decision and they might get it slightly off or they're usually so fantastically right. But when you're talking about technology, the law hasn't been rewritten to allow for any kind of, any kind of margin for error because how can anybody be 100% sure as to the exact frame to use? So therefore, you have to try and work out a solution, as Nuno would say, for next season and beyond. They have to do something about this. And Peter Walton agreed, they have to do something about the law. And that's what they're working on at the moment, to allow the technology to work well with the spirit of the game, because nobody in the world wants to see that goal chalked out for offside. No, and it just looks stupid and it makes the Premier League look stupid and it makes the sport look daft as well. And everyone's just like, what? what's the point really in this sport that we love when things like that happen? I think that's how everyone kind of feels, a resigned feel to it. It's ludicrous. It annoyed Wolves an awful lot. I could hear a lot of shouting down the tunnel as they were going down at half-time. It would have been a tough job for Nuno to refocus his players at the break because that's all that they would have been talking about for 15 minutes. It was, he said so. He said it, it was so hard to refocus them. Exactly. So, um, yeah, and it's certainly not, certainly not the first time it's happened to Wolves either. And Johnny at Anfield with his toenail offside springs to mind as well. So um, it's just didn't overshadow the night. Um, and we've had, we've taken 15 minutes to actually talk about it in this podcast because if it had finished nil-nil, then that would have been the main talking point. But thankfully, um, Wolves scored again at the end of the next half uh, to get uh, to, to nick a win, I think, I think we should say. Yeah, and just going back to the situation, they are going to change it. They can't keep it like this, by the way, with the offside because football is united against what's happening in that regard. Arsene Wenger is working with FIFA and, and he's talked to them about potentially changing it to any part of the body being onside makes the player onside. That is quite a big change. That would be a big change and everyone would need to get used to it. But something has to change. I mean, my solution would be a thicker line for the moment would manage the situation of when the ball is played, because that can't be decided on one particular frame. It's it's just too vague. So let's move on from that. But in terms of William Jose, should have had his first goal after 11 goals without one. And, and Peter Crouch was on BT, really devastated for him. And I was thinking, hang on, Crouch, didn't it take you forever to score against Liverpool, for Liverpool, sorry? And I looked it up and it was 19 games he went for Liverpool without scoring, plus three for England if you recall, when he signed for them from Southampton in July 2005. And he went on to score 42 goals in three seasons for them before going on to Pompey. But um, but yeah, so 19 Liverpool games without scoring. And, and Jose made 11, I suppose 12 now in theory. But it was a good finish from him, wasn't it? It was a great finish. I, I, absolutely good for him, to be honest. It's clearly played on his mind. He's got this chance to earn a move to the Premier League in the summer and without goals, I don't see it happening really for him. So um, 
Yeah, real shame. You know, another decent performance from him. Nothing too spectacular, but yeah, he took took his goal really well. I, I I agree that he should still be starting. I know this is quite a heated debate amongst Wolves fans who are demanding Silver's inclusion, and that will only increase after another enthusiastic substitute performance where he's got an assist. But for me, Jose offers more in terms of holding the ball up and linking the play. And I think there is a case for saying if you're going to play four-two-three-one, then Silva can can play that role because you've got more numbers up front anyway. I am a fan of William Jose as as, as a player. I just don't think he's quite done himself justice in the last few weeks. Hopefully for him, he can at least get a goal and not be the next Thomas Frankowski. I, I, I think the way it's gone. You'd say it's unlikely that Wolves will sign him in the summer, but I really hope he gets on the score sheet between now and the end of the season, obviously at least once. Thomas Frankowski, do you remember him? The missing piece of the jigsaw. It was it was finally released, wasn't it? He'd been signed from Spain as well, from Elche, remember? He'd scored a gazillion number of goals in Poland. So he was quite good at signing players from Spain who don't score in England. Ouch. Um, but do you think maybe... This clamour for Fabio Silva starting is because of his performances off the bench. But do you think his performances off the bench are better because he's not starting? He doesn't have that pressure on him. He comes on fresh. Do you think it's really benefited from him having Jose starting and him just being able to show what he can in the last 20 minutes or so of a game? Yeah, a thousand percent. Because if you go back three months, then it was Silva started and not scoring every week. And everyone was giving him enormous stick. And I bet he was seeing it as well. You know, it's hard for him to stay off social media and now it's Jose. It's Jose in the firing line and getting all sorts of nonsense on my timeline. You know, send him back to Spain. He's absolutely useless. Never want to see him in a wolf shirt again. All this kind of stuff. Silva was really getting it in the neck in January when Wolves were falling down the table and he wasn't scoring. So he needed to be taken out of that spotlight. You know, they never planned or hoped to play him as much as they have this season. Hopefully, he'll be better off for the experience. And yes, it's been tough for him, but hopefully he'll be better off and he'll have, and he'll have grown up a lot. And we can see far more from him next season. And that's that's the way I'd be keeping it for now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Johnny Castro Otto is facing up to another long layoff after his second successive serious injury to the same knee, just eight games after making his long-awaited return. Well, Tim caught up with the former Wolves and England winger Tony Daly, who became a fitness coach with Wolves. His career at Molyneux had been blighted by injury. Tony, thanks so much for joining us on the Molyneux View. We've asked you on to talk about Johnny Castroato, really, and kind of trying to get a sense of what he's going through. Um, as people will know, he'd only recently returned from a six-month absence with an ACL injury, played eight games, and things seemed to be going really well. He was up to playing 90 minutes, uh, but has now sadly suffered the same ACL injury on the same knee, plus also his MCL. So it's clearly a very serious uh, setback for player and club. Um, so yeah, Tony, we're really kind of keen to get your insight from sort of both sides of the fence, really, as it were, as both a player and a fitness coach. Um, I mean, first of all, as a player at Wolves, I remember you coming back from serious injuries and then and then suffering setbacks, you know, quite soon on after that. How difficult is that to cope with from a mental point of view? I mean, presumably Johnny must be sort of worried about his long-term career here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to, I've experienced the same injury, uh, Tim, in terms of uh, the re-injury. 
I got injured. I did my cruise at Aston Villa during my last couple of seasons, and then re-injured the same one at Wolves. So I totally devastated for him because it's, it's a really, really awful thing to go through because he would have gone through a really tough rehab and another dedication that himself and staff and his family would have uh, put towards his recovery, and he would be very, very devastated. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, is it kind of like climbing a mountain and you've climbed the mountain and then all of a sudden you, you're back to square one again? Very much so. I mean, the, the thing to be so psychological thing now because initially the, the injury he's had now and, and he's, he's done his uh, rehab there he would have come back with a, possibly a stronger knee than he previously had so to get a re- re-injury is very very rare indeed and it's really just having the confidence and the trust to get through that uh, that particular injury now that's going to be the difficult part for him important to have that kind of support network as well I suppose you know you mentioned family and friends but also the medical team and the physiotherapy team as you'll know from working at Wolves how important is, is kind of their role in, in keeping Johnny going very much so as well this, as I said the psychological side would, would be a big thing he'd be thinking all the worst now as well having, having re-injured that you know whether he's going to come back again or not but I'm sure the sports science staff there I know they are outstanding and their support will be uh, paramount he'll be trusting in them to get back through the injury because they will be even more cautious than they were before as well because no doubt when things are starting to progress really nicely as the months go on he'd be wanting to get back uh, as quickly as possible as well but you know of course they'll take the right precautions to make sure that he doesn't do that and it's, as you said family and friends are, are, are also important as well to keep his you know his levels away from away from the game as well because you can't live and breathe football it's important that he, he get he gets a uh, that away from it and his family uh, and friends uh, will be will be really really important to keep his mind occupied as well Presumably those first kind of initial weeks and months are the worst then because you, you, you're not in Compton doing a lot of work and you're basically just sitting around wait, waiting for it to heal. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. So, I mean, the early stages, the first one to six weeks, we'll be just doing simple exercises like improving his range of motion, static balancing and strength exercises and proprioception exercises as well and not doing much at all. That's, and then, you know, as, as the months progress uh, up until probably the first three to four months, you might be doing some uh, straight line uh, walking, jogging. It's only really four months plus when he starts to the more energetic work starts coming into play. Also, Tony, just again, in terms of those initial phases, um, is it a case of building different routines for yourself to kind of keep yourself going? And obviously, because you're not in Compton much at that time either, so do staff come and visit you? Do they keep, do they do they phone you to kind of keep you involved? How does it work? He'll be given a specific programme in initial days at home, but they'll want him in as quickly as possible to get himself back in the, in the environment, not every day of the week. But he'd be given a routine, and routine is crucial. He'd want to be able to be active as quickly as possible. So whether he's in a leg brace, uh, moving around, controlled movements, when he's doing his exercises while he's lying down, he'll be given specific routine to fill his day. So yes, there'll be downtime when he'd be watching Netflix and stuff like that. But throughout the day, he will be given detail by detail of things where he's putting ice packs on, with doing specific movements. All that will be will be done for him in the initial period. You mentioned it's it's quite rare for it to happen again. You know, obviously we don't want to speculate on the specifics here with Johnny, but but what 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 can cause it to happen a second time, especially so soon after the first one? To be quite honest, it could be anything at all. You know, it doesn't have to be a weakness. There it could be another severe impact, or it could be something really really minor. It sounds if it's just been really really unfortunate. 
the fact he's, he's he's played considerably straight after the injury as well. As I said, you can't rush this as well. He'd at least he'd need at least um, three months before the uh, injury is actually healed, and the rest of the time is uh, rehab and all that time we're building strength exercises as well to help improve that. So it's again, he's just been very, very, very unfortunate. But the beauty of it is now uh, uh, that. Uh, these injuries are quite common now mm-hmm. and players come back from them re-injury yes is rare but there's no doubt as well I'm sure that you, with the right support to know he'll have he'll come back he'll come, come through this So in terms of a medical team and, and, and setting a kind of a fitness programme for him presumably they'll look at it differently this time second time around with his you know with his second rehabilitation you know if and if so what kind of things do you think they might be doing differently to kind of ensure that this you know definitely won't happen again what you'll find is you know you'll probably be out a longer length of time i mean the healing process again uh, especially if we don't well i'm just speculating if talking if it's, if it's more than his acl the post might be, be a little bit longer to repair depends what type of repair he's had as well but what we'll do as well is when he's coming back into fitness as well the the other end where he's progressing he might play just 15 minutes of a game then you might play 60 minutes of a game then you, instead of playing 90 minutes you might play another 60 so his, his progress into training and to playing games will be a lot slower they'll probably cut that back a little bit more make sure he's recovered correctly that side of it will be probably a little bit longer but that actual uh, rehab itself probably go through the same process I just think they'll probably take a bit longer depending on the injury on the latter end and clearly I mean I think you mentioned earlier from what you know of the, of the, of the Wolves medical team he's in, he's in very good hands isn't he Oh, without doubt, there's no, there's no question with that. I mean, we speak, speak volumes. The work they've done, I mean, on on the sports science side as well, you can see how fit the ball squad are, and you can see the the limited amount of injuries that they, uh, you know, get uh, uh, throughout throughout the seasons as well, soft muscle injuries as well. So no doubt, he'll, he, he's in the the best the best hands there. That's great, mate. Uh, what we can't fail to ask while you're here. Your two teams are eleventh and twelfth. Any chance of Wolves Pippin Villa? Yeah, it's a good, good question. I mean, it, it, it's tough. I mean, uh, Wolves have gone through, and Villa have uh, gone through a sticky patch with games as well. You know, the last six, seven games, Wolves have picked up and uh, got a good win most recently as well. So hopefully they both can get over it. And, you know, hopefully both teams can get up the league as far as possible. Spoken like a true politician, mate. Very magnanimous <laughs> response there. <laughs> Top man. Thanks ever so much for joining us, Tony. No problem at all. We'll talk Wolves potential transfers in a moment. But Tim, I enjoyed your Wolves women piece this week after their FA Cup victory over Forest, who are a division above them, of course. And now they've gone and done it again, winning 4-1 at Watford, who are top of the division above them. Wow. Unbelievable. Stunning, in fact. Stunning. I think they went there with confidence that they could get a result, but not to completely outplay and dominate the team that's won the league above them. 4-1, 4-1, could have been more, as you say. That's the scoreline they threatened last week against Forest when they, again, completely dominated them. It was it was one-way traffic, but they somehow managed to draw 2-2 and then go through on penalties. So it's unbelievable. It's a fantastic journey. I think, uh, not not sure the exact year, but I think I heard Mikey Burrow say in commentary it's probably the first time since the 90s that they got through to the fourth round of the FA Cup, which just shows you what a stunning achievement it is. Um, they've got Blackburn at home, this weekend, so obviously because of the coronavirus situation, all the fixtures have been crammed together and it's boom, 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 week after week, FA Cup, FA Cup. So it's Blackburn at home uh, this weekend. I'm not sure they've completely finalised kickoff yet, but I'm sure it'll be all over social media, guys. So um, one to watch. Blackburn are in the Championship. 
Um, but Watford would say that they're good enough. And they're playing every week. So I was going to say, yeah. So Watford would say that they're good enough to be in the championship. You know, they've won their league this year, and, and we're still waiting to see what happens to them, as we are with Wolves from tier three and four. Um, but yeah, the difference with Blackburn is they they are playing every week, and uh, and obviously Wolves haven't played since December, and even then it's been sort of truncated fixtures this season. So on the back of two games, you know they'll be better off for it in terms of fitness levels. But it's going to be obviously because of that saying, it's going to be their their biggest test so far. But yeah, they're, they're at home and they'll embrace it and they'll they'll give it absolutely everything again. And and who knows if they can pull off a shock? But it's just a fantastic journey. I'm so pleased for them. You know, as as I've written and um, and as we've spoken about it's been a horrendous two years in terms of them being denied promotion two years in a row so to have this FA Cup run and for the season not to be over yet is just fantastic for the club and for Dan McNamara and all the players and you can see how much they're enjoying it the scenes at full time were absolutely fantastic they were so good. They're all over the wall social media. And uh, and his interview, Dan McNamara's interview with Mikey Burrows and Claire Hakeman on comms afterwards, he said, uh, we felt disrespected. Their warm-up looked laboured, like they'd be playing an easy side. Um, there was no dressing room for them to get change in at half-time. They just had to stand on the pitch. And this was at Kings Langley. And he said, that's what heart and determination gets you. And that's what a unified group gets you. And he said, they were all absolutely tremendous. I'm speechless, but not shocked. That's what you get from this group. These are the moments you cherish. And they absolutely loved it. And it was great celebration. They have to enjoy these moments. They've had such an awful two years. But huge congratulations to Dan McNamara and good luck at home to Blackburn, which is another big step up next weekend. But um, they've shown what heart, passion, determination and a fair bit of talent as well can get them. Tim, every so often... I dip into your timeline to see what you're being sent, partly for fun and partly because I need to see what people are tweeting about our, um, you know, for our tweets for our podcast that we can read out, for example. And uh, a number of times I just see these messages going, Tim, are we selling Adama? Tell me we're not selling Neto. Tim, who are we signing? Are we signing this bloke? I've read somewhere that we're signing him. Is it true? And then you don't reply to any of these these messages because you seem to get hundreds of them. Is this right? Am I dipping in at the right time? There are hundreds, yeah. And I'm sorry for people who kind of, you know, bombard me with these questions, but they, often these things are impossible to sum up in one tweet for a start. And I much prefer to talk about it on, on the podcast or write an article about it. But yeah, the, the, the gist of it is, and we've had a lot of questions about this, but it was probably summed up by wondering about Wolves, who says, will Nuno have to generate his own transfer funds? by selling players or is there no truth to this rumour so this is a, a piece put out by a um, very respected journalist Duncan Castles last week who said roughly that Foson won't be spending as much this summer and Neto, Traore and Neves are all sort of available all being floated on the market for transfer so we've discussed this before actually on, on a few occasions in terms of the spend going forward and it's certainly fair to say that net spend is is down and it was down last summer and you only have to look at the club accounts which we talked about a few weeks ago from the year before to know that that is unsustainable spending they had 100 million net spend their first season back in the premier league 100 million now you you can't have 100 million net spend on transfers every year you just can't especially if you're wolves and you you've not got anywhere near the income levels of the teams above you and you're not in the champions league and and certainly this year at the moment without fans income levels are way down so and Matt Wild we had on the podcast you know discussing this and 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 um and the, the problems that they've had with coronavirus affecting their budget 
all that leads to uh, a very clear and obvious conclusion that they're not going to be spending in terms of net spend a huge amount of money this summer. Last summer, the net spend was pretty much zero. People will remember Jota, Doherty and Costa left and then Semedo and Silva uh, and Hoover have come in and it's roughly 80 million sold and 80 million spent. I'd expect something similar this summer in terms of net spend, to be honest. I really, really would. Uh, Foson called for investment 18 months or so ago. It hasn't been forthcoming um, and that'll be much harder to attract in a pandemic. So, in t- but in terms of selling players, if they're going se- to sell... And if they're going to sell one of their three assets, then the three we've mentioned are the most most saleable or sellable rather. Then it just it depends how much they want to spend on the team. A, a, a revolution would be a big surprise this summer in terms of the the transfer activity. It's far more likely to be evolution. Uh, and Nuno's got a lot of calls to make in the summer and decisions to make on these players. Um, I was kind of looking through the squad last night, thinking about this, and they've sort of got a core of sixteen who you'd say that they wouldn't be selling or, or in an ideal world wouldn't be going anywhere um, you've got your one keeper Patricio you've got Cody Sace and Bolly at the back you've got Semedo and Hoover on one one wing you've got Johnny and Marcel albeit with question marks over their injuries on the other you've got Neves Martino Dendonka in the middle and then you've got Neto Pedence Traore Jimenez and Silva up front that's 16 players and then you've got question marks over Ruddy who's out of contract Kilman, who's not been featuring and, and may move on, Aitnori, Vitinia and Jose, who are on loan, and Morgan Gibbs-White, who we've discussed, should be out on loan. So there's four priorities this summer. Left wing back, centre back, centre mid, and a backup striker, in my mind. So it's how much How much do you want to spend, Jackie? That, that's basically it. And if, if they want to go out and spend 50, 60 million on players, then they're going to have to sell one of their saleable assets to, to bring that money in. We've discussed a couple of weeks ago, they could sell Rafa Mir, Patrick Catrone, Bruno Giordao, Dion Sanderson, Leo Bonatini, uh, maybe get 30, 35 million for those. That may be enough for the summer. Um, they could spend 20 million on one player, 10 million on another, and then get a couple of loans in, and that's four players there. That may be the route that they do it. The reports of these players being up for sale in reality mean that that, that they're possibly available at a price that, that are, you know, every player's got its price. So it won't be a huge market this summer. Not many permanent deals were done in January at all, which reflects a deflated market. So it, you can say all you like that that Traore is available for fifty million. Doesn't mean no one's going to pay it because um, there won't be a lot of money spent this summer as well. So that's got to be taken into account. It's certainly not a, a, a very simple situation. Um, but the primary thing for Wolves is um, how many players do they want to bring in this summer? It's not always about numbers, is it? It's about value and, and what they can get and whether they get a player out of contract, for example. They need to do something at left back stroke left wing back. I really like Anthony Robinson, by the way. He was at Wigan and was wanted by AC Milan and then he failed a medical rather famously as he touched down, he found out about this. Um, and he was devastated at the time, now looks back and, and says he's quite relieved because he thinks he would have sat on the bench. But all it was was an irregular heartbeat due to a sensitivity to caffeine, which has now corrected itself. So anyway, there's nothing apparently to be worried about there. He's still only 23 till the summer. Every time I see him, he looks impressive. And I know he, it was his ball that was intercepted by Matinho for the goal. But um, but the bigger picture I'm, I'm talking about here is the fact that 
it doesn't have to be a £30 million signing per player that Wolves make to be able to improve the squad this summer. There's a lot that can be done in terms of perhaps loans. They don't have to sign the players on loan, Vitinha and Aitnori. What do you think the likelihood is or is it impossible to tell? I think you've just got to judge on the fact that Vitinha is not playing. Um, Aitnori is. I think he's doing well and he's improving. Um, and I think given the, given the injury situation... Johnny and Marcel are still going to be employed by the club and, and are expected to both play next season. So you don't want to spend a lot of money on, on, a, on a left back, a left wing back at all. But I think Aitnori's Norris probably the one for me. I, I think he's done enough to earn a move, but I, I wouldn't want to be paying 20 million. I think I'd want to pay a little less than that. Exactly. What sort of market do you think they will be operating in? Do you think it'll be very similar Portuguese-based market, George Mendes making the suggestions and the Wolves transfer team verifying, ratifying, Nuno ratifying. Is that how it's going to work? Yeah, I, don't, I, I, can't, envisage, I can't imagine that anything's going to change in the way that they work because it's it's mostly been hugely successful. You've got to say that in terms of their recruitment o- over the last few years. So they'll be doing the same again. The, uh, there is an issue with, with Brexit, which a couple of tweeters have highlighted. They can't necessarily go out and, and sign players on permanent deals that they have before. Someone like Neto or even silver, you know, it would be difficult to bring those in during during this this Brexit time with the numbers, etc. So, um, so that chart slightly changes the way that they work. But yeah, like I said, the, the main decision is is Nuno's really. How many players does he need to bring in? Does does he believe that this squad is good enough? And if he does bring players in, are we looking at first team players or are we looking at improving the bench? These are big decisions for the weeks ahead. His interviews, particularly after the Fulham game, were very much along the lines of the disruption that he and the team have faced in recent times. He just wants some kind of stability to be able to get a decent side out with the training into them that he wants to get into them. It sounds like, and we don't, remember, we have to we have to acknowledge, we don't know the full extent of what goes on behind the scenes. There's all sorts of matters, and I bring this up every so often, but there are all sorts of other things that go on within football clubs, within individual players' personal lives. There's all sorts of things that happen that can affect team selection and availability and form. Um, so we only know about the obvious issues that have happened, and, and they've been major ones with Raul and with Johnny's injury, etc. But, you know, there is a lot more that goes into it as well. And uh, it seems clear from the way he's talking that he just wants a settled period of time. He wants things to calm down. He wants to be able to pick the side he wants to be able to pick and uh, in the formation that he wants. But at the moment, he's just having to make the best of the situation. And that win against Fulham seems to be extremely well received, particularly because of the adversity they've all uh, felt in recent times. So it'd be really interesting to see what they do in the summer and how they kick on from here. And in terms of formation, Tim... They did have to switch, of course, on Friday night, bearing in mind that Neto went off just after half an hour with a recurrence of the injury picked up on Portugal duty in Luxembourg on March the 30th. Um, and Matinho came in to midfield and it changed around and, and everyone's commenting on how much more solid they looked. But, you know, I wonder if, if a sort of 3-5-2 with Traore alongside either Fabio Silva or William Jose could look good for the rest of the season with... Hopefully, Bolly back soon. Do we know when he'll be back? Bolly's back this week. He's he, yeah, just had to isolate for ten days. Yeah, so Bolly, Cody, and presumably Sice. He doesn't seem to rate Kilman at the moment. And then Semedo on the right, eight Nori on the left. And then what about Dendonka, Neves, and then either Matinho or perhaps Morgan Gibbs White for a little bit more dynamism in the midfield. Seems he has shown glimpses of late with say Triori up front alongside Jose or Silva, because they seem to look better when they've got somebody closer alongside them. What do you reckon? Uh, yeah, I guess the, the key is the key is Neto, really. I guess we've got to see. Um, 
how he comes back from that knee injury, uh, given the fact that he suffered it once against Portugal and then again, sorry, for Portugal and then again against Fulham, you know, uh, you won't really want to be risking him, I don't think, this weekend. If it's something that he's, if it's an injury he's suffered twice in quick succession, then we're always having nothing to play for in terms of Europe or relegation. Then I'm not not really sure you want to be risking Neto. I'd like to see Pedence have a run in the team, personally. I, I, I think there's a fantastic player there. But he has been troubled by injury this season. I don't think we've seen the best of him at all. But yeah, probably more of a 4-3-3 for me if Neto's going to be out um, with Pedence and Traore buzzing around Jose. I like the idea of, of giving Gibbs White or Vitinha some game time, actually, between now and the end of the season. You can say that for a lot of them in terms of experimentation now, now there's nothing left to play for. Certainly like to see something different from Nuno in the coming weeks. Wolves' next match sees them host Sheffield United. At the time of recording, we're not entirely sure when that will be, but United are rooted to the bottom of the Premier League after another defeat on Sunday. They're fourth in a row in the league and eighth in nine and are now building for next season. So what could that mean for Wolves? Richard Sutcliffe covers the Blades for The Athletic. Hi, Richard. Hi there. I mean, a dreadful season. They've lost 25 league games in 31 over the course of the campaign after finishing ninth last year. Are you able to sum up for us why it's gone so badly wrong? Well, it started really with Jack O'Connell's injury. You know, he, he played in the first game of the season against Wolves, but you could see he was struggling. There was a free header for Sice, I think it was, after about six minutes, which was the second goal, and he just couldn't get off the ground. He'd had a knee injury that he was trying to manage, couldn't do it. After two games, his season was over. And he was a huge cog, both at the back and going forward, you know, the way Sheffield United play with the overlapping centre-backs. And... They never really recovered from that and then injuries came in and then when you get on the sort of run they've been on, it's very hard to snap out of it. You know, and you're seeing it now, heads, you know, the moment they have a setback, heads go down and really it's just a case of everyone just can't wait for the season to, to be over because it's, I remember I, I covered Huddersfield when they were up a couple of years ago and they had a similarly horrendous season, although ironically they beat Wolves twice from memory, um, which I was at both games, but I spoke to Jonathan Hogg in the February, and he said it's like being a boxer where you're just taking one too many punches. And I think Sheffield United certainly look a bit punch drunk at the moment, and it's uh, it's, it's it's pretty sorry to see, to be honest. So in in like the final games of the of the season, where, when teams are down or going down, I guess you can it can either go one or two ways really. And and with Wolves under Terry Connor in in whatever year it was, 2012. I mean, they just they just kept losing even 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 more every week and heavier defeats. Whereas I remember when Albion a couple of years ago yeah. under Darren Moore that they it seemed to be real pressure off and gave it a great go in the last few weeks. But it seems like Sheffield United sort of going down the former route at the moment. They do, unfortunately. Yeah, it's you know they, they, they played well at Chelsea in the cup just before the international break, where obviously if they'd have won that, they get to Wembley. But the two performances since then at Leeds, they only lost two one, but Leeds could have won five or six, and it was the same last night for Arsenal. It's they do just look like one of these bedraggled teams, really, a bit like Norwich at the end of last season, which is the one thing I'm clinging to now. Really, I think they've finished with like nine straight defeats, and you always fear for a team in that sort of situation. But obviously, they've come back and, and had an exceptional season, so it's the one crumb of comfort that we're sort of clinging to at the moment. From a tactical point of view, what can Wolves expect? Yeah, they've stuck to the three-five-two all season. You know, we thought Paul coming in might sort of tweak it a little bit from the start of games, but his under-23 sides, they do play the same 3-5-2 because that's, you know, it's part of the DNA, really. They wanted to get the kids playing the same way than if they, they could step into the first team if needed. He did change it last night at half-time. He went for a, a sort of 4-3-1-2 with Ben Osborne, moved from left wing back to play at the number 10. 
and it worked a little bit. They're a little bit better, and Arsenal didn't quite have quite as many chances. The fans are, you know, they want to see something different. That's been possibly the most depressing thing of the last three or four weeks. I understand why he's done it, and he's stuck to the three-five-two, but. The personnel isn't there at the moment. Like Chris Basham on the other side, you know, he's the other overlapping centre-back. He's not there at the moment. So it's all square pegs, round holes. And the fans just, you know, even if you play a back four and it doesn't work, it doesn't really matter now. So I think people just want to see something different. But at the moment, it's sticking not only to the same formation from the start of games, but also the same personnel. Whereas, you know, you get to this, I think it's one of those... You're damned if you do, damned if you don't, really, because you could damage these kids because they have a decent under-23 side who are going to win their league this year. And there's sort of three or four of those have been on the bench lately, but none of them have really been given a chance yet. Maybe that'll come in the last couple of games rather than sort of seven games to go. So if I was a betting man, I'd say it'll be probably this very similar setup to uh, to what the start of the game is, 3-5-2, and, and see if we can grind something out. Just finally, what's their main weakness defensively, would you say? Yeah, it's the old round pegs, square holes job again, really. Ethan Ampadu was a midfielder, played at right-hand centre-half against uh, Arsenal. The left-hand centre-half was Ender Stevens, who was a left wing-back. You know, John Egan was in there. That was his first game back for a couple of months. But it's, it, they're just struggling. The midfield doesn't hold on to the ball very well. And uh, that just puts more pressure on the defence as well. And... It's you know it's, it's, it's an accumulation of, of factors really, but they're, they're just struggling. To be fair, Aaron Ramsdale's done well the last three or four months, and he sort of kept them in games really, particularly Ellen Road a couple of weeks ago. But uh, you know I, I do like watching Wolves. I love that team that came out of the Championship, and I think if they're on song, then and I do fear for for Sheffield United a little bit because it could be a, a long afternoon, evening, lunchtime whenever this game gets uh, takes place. Yeah, poor Aaron Ramsdale. Second successive relegation for him as a goalkeeper. That that can't do much for morale, can it? No, that's it. And he, and he, he struggled, to be fair. That, you know, Coming back to Sheffield United, he'd left to go to Bournemouth and then they re-signed him for a lot of money. And he really did struggle the first three or four months. You know, the opening day against Wolves, he's, he just didn't quite get his feet right for a couple of goals. Sort of January time, he's really found his form. And you look at, you know, there's a lot of fingers pointed at last summer's transfer window and it didn't do what was needed. You know, he's probably been the one success story out of the uh, the signing. So, but not great for him, really. Two relegations on your CV. He, he needs a good season next year to push him forward because he is a good goalkeeper. Yeah, he's only 22, isn't he? England under-21 goalkeeper. Thank you so much, Richard Sutcliffe. No problem at all. Good to speak. No doubt you've been all over this news this week because I know what you like. I know what you like with your pop music. You love it, don't you? It's been huge news. Apparently, I've no idea, but I've been told this has happened. Taylor Swift has released her version of the 2008 album Fearless... Didn't you know that? Hey, I, I did actually know that actually before before you before you again assassinate my character. I have actually heard a bit no, of this album. I didn't assassinate um, my character. I was suggesting that perhaps pop music isn't your thing. That's not. No, you've an just got this image of me of being a drunken lout who doesn't listen to Taylor Swift. That's well, I am not drunk at this moment in time, and I have listened to Taylor Swift's new album or at least chunks of it. It was played for me before I got annoyed and told them to turn it off. But yes, I know I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, well. She apparently has released her version of the 2008 album Fearless. So we wanted to ask, what would you bring back from the 2007-2008 season of the Mighty Wolverhampton Wanderers? Anything spring to mind? That was the year. Steve Morgan bought the club that season, I remember. Uh, Sylvan Ebanks-Blake was signed that season, which was the main thing. So I think we'd bring his goals 
which would be very welcome at this at this moment in time. Um, and uh, the Wolves manager being linked with with uh, quite bizarre jobs, including the South Korea job. Do you know that was that season. Do you remember that one? <laughs> that was absolutely bizarre. Yeah, it was a funny old season that they missed out on the playoffs by goal difference. I remember right at the end of the season. I remember going to Coventry away, penultimate game, and they drew one all. And yeah, just missed out on goal difference after that. I'll tell you what I won't miss from that season is that that chant, which reverberated around Molyneux for the opening weeks of the campaign. Do you remember? Freddie, 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 oh, Freddie oh, Eastwood. Do you remember oh. the whole Mick Freddie thing? Oh my God, oh, that got, that got tiresome. Yeah, the most Welsh striker you'll ever... No, it's not. I think it's... <laughs> yeah, he's about his as Welsh was, as Vinnie, was born Winnie there or something Jones. like that. Yeah, I know. Um, well, I'd bring back a 4-1 away win over Watford in the FA Cup. I mean, um, Wolves love playing Watford in the FA Cup. The women's team do. Exactly. 4-1, 4-1 they did. Well, I remember going to that game and I had lunch with Mick McCarthy's wife, Fiona, who is absolutely lovely. And I remember thinking, she is the absolute exact type of football manager's wife that you need for your manager to be successful. She she is so down to earth, very, very lovely lady. She has been around for so long. She knows the game. She knows exactly how it works. And, you know, Wolves winning 4-1. I said to her, it must be so nice for you to hear the away fans at Vicarage Road singing your husband's name. That must be mad, right? It must be good. And she was... She could not be more down to earth. She said, I don't get too excited by these things because it could all change next week. And sure enough, seven days later, Wolves went back to Vicarage Road and lost 3-0. And Wolves ended up missing out on that playoff place to Watford by a single goal on goal difference. So, um, yes, Fiona McCarthy knows exactly what she's doing in this business. But, um, yeah, no, it was a, it was a fun day. But uh, missing out on goal difference isn't a boatload of fun, is it? Could you hobnob him before kickoff? It's, not, it's not normally Mr. Sizzle for for, <laughs> for most of us. You're in there with the manager's wife. I can't remember why, to be honest. I can't remember why I was in, in the posh bit. I've literally no recollection of why I was there, but, but it was fun. It was a good day. was Love Story, Taylor's version from Taylor Swift's re-record of her classic, apparently, 2008 album Fearless. Thank you to Tim and Tony Daly and to Richard Sutcliffe. A reminder, you can subscribe to The Athletic right now for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's less than a pound a week, 40% off the full price of a subscription. And a reminder, you can get in touch with Tim and me via our Twitter handles at Tim Spears and at Jackie Oatley. And Tim and I will be back next week on your regular podcast platform. Bye for now. The Athletic. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, 
we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13. And when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas, and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level, and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although Striker A squandered a gilt-edge chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to 10 men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to football cliches wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic.